Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our special meditation this morning is our first lesson. Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, is printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear friends in Christ, despite abundant, unprecedented blessings, they did not trust their government. The guy in charge had lost their confidence, if he ever had it in the first place. So they complained about their situation, about what had been done and left undone, about him. They even complained to him. He didn't get angry or try to get even. There were no late-night tweets dripping with wounded pride or frustration. Instead, there were prayers. He went to his boss and asked what he should do. And the boss's answer was exactly what was needed. The actions to take were rather involved and spectacular, but the essential message was simple and powerful. Trust me. That's the story we had in our first lesson today from Exodus. It's amazing, not just because of the miracle that the Lord worked through Moses, bringing water from a rock in the wilderness, but also it is amazing because of the colossal ingratitude and unbelief of the people of Israel. A short time earlier, they had been all slaves in Egypt, suffering mightily under Pharaoh's cruel rule, And then God worked a series of ten plagues on Egypt to finally force Pharaoh to let the people go. And when the Israelites left, after being miraculously preserved from those plagues, they plundered the Egyptians as the people of that land gave them stuff, generous gifts of of silver and gold, whatever was asked for, because they were so eager to see Moses lead his people away from them. And yet, Pharaoh changed his mind. He took his army and chased after them. When it looked like the Israelites were cornered and certain either to be killed or taken back into slavery, the Lord once again intervened, dividing the waters of the Red Sea so that his people could pass through on dry ground and escape the Egyptians, and then bringing the waters back down once Pharaoh's army began to pursue. The Lord continued to lead them, showing his glory and his presence with them in a pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night. When the people traveled on and came to a place where the water was bitter, God had Moses miraculously turn the waters sweet so that they could safely drink them. When the food they brought with them had run out and they were craving meat, the Lord provided an abundance of quail, enough to cover their camp one night, and manna from heaven in the morning, which continued every day until they reached the promised land. And what did the people do with all these miracles that were done for them to not only free and preserve and protect them, but to lead them forth as a nation to their new home? 
they forgot. They forgot all about God's great goodness, and they questioned whether he really was with them to bless them. They forgot it all once they ran into some kind of trouble, or to be more accurate, once they got into a situation that they could not immediately see their way through. And so they grumbled when they came to a new place that had no water to drink. They grumbled against Moses, who had led them there. But he made clear that their complaints about him weren't what made a difference. They were doing something much more serious. Why are you quarreling with me? Why are you testing the Lord? They didn't care. They only saw their problem, and they were going to make noise about it until it got fixed, or they died, whichever came first, because they saw no hope. So Moses did exactly what leaders should do when faced with trouble. He cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And God did not chastise him for being upset or concerned. He gave Moses something to do. Another miracle for his incredibly ungrateful, faithless, forgetful people. He said, watch me. I will stand there in front of you on the rock in Horeb. You are to strike the rock. Water will come out of it and the people will drink. Watch me. In other words, trust me. And when Moses trusted, he saw the Lord do all that he had promised. The people saw it too, though it would be hard to say that they really learned their lesson from it, since it was not long before they were testing God again with their grumbling. But in the meantime, they drank their fill that wonderful water in the wilderness. What Moses understood and counted on, and his people too frequently forgot, was that God will always come through for his people, will always keep his promises, and will always work all things for the good of those who belong to him in faith. Jesus wanted the woman at the well in Sychar to grasp this too to understand that if she stopped testing him and put her trust in him, she would have a never-ending assurance of God's care and provision for her, living water. The Apostle Paul, in our second reading, makes it wonderfully clear why we, too, will want to set aside our complaints about our difficult days and our doubts of God's goodness and simply, truly, completely trust in the Lord. It's because such faith justifies us. It gains us a declaration straight from heaven's throne that we are not guilty of our sins and are thus eligible for eternal life. Believing is not something that we do for ourselves. It, too, is a gift from God. But when we do it, we have 
access into this grace in which we stand. And that grace is salvation from sin, death, and the devil, and peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And since it is grace, we understand that it is all God's gift to us, not something that we deserved or earned in any way. In fact, Paul reminds us, God showed his amazing, unconditional, immeasurable love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And really, that's... That's exactly what we confess every week in our worship and, and daily in, in our own, in, in our prayers and our devotions. Lord, I have sinned against you in every way, in thought, word, and deed. Lord, I deserve only your wrath and punishment. Lord, have mercy on me and forgive me for Jesus' sake. And then we follow that with, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for sending your Son to be the atoning sacrifice for my sins, for forgiving me, for restoring me, for making me holy, and for giving me eternal life. We can praise Him that way because it's true. That is what God does for those who put their trust in Him. That is what He did before we ever even thought to ask it. He has promised, and He always delivers on His promises. Which means that you and I can take all of our complaints about the difficulties of our lives today, all our fears and worries about the coronavirus or the economy, and all our frustrations with closings and cancellations, and turn them over to our loving Lord, and we can rest assured that He has got everything well in hand. He has promised us all that He will never stop being with us to love us and bless us, and that He will work all things out for our good. And that, and that even in what some might call the worst-case scenario in which we die, He is still going to take us to heaven, which Paul assures us in Philippians 1 is better by far than our struggles here on earth. So let others freak out and panic or despair. You and I will trust the Lord and have peace and be comforted no matter how bad things might get. But trusting the Lord does not mean that we just go through life doing whatever seems best to us, looking to Him to pick up the pieces after us. Believing means things for our behavior. And one of those things is respect for God's representatives. We see that negatively in our story from Exodus. The people did not honor Moses, the leader the Lord had given them. They questioned his directions and his decisions, and they quarreled with him when they should have listened to and followed him. Now, while none of our leaders today have quite the call or the direct line to God that Moses had, 
the Bible is still clear that the people he places over us in the home, the church, and the state are his representatives and are to be honored and obeyed as such. I've been concerned at some of the things that I have seen this week from Christians who are basically saying, well, yeah, the government is telling us that we should do this to counter the virus's spread, but I think that's dumb. So I'm going to ignore them and do something different. We need to remember that Scripture teaches that the only exception to, to submitting to the authorities is when they ask us to do something contrary to God's Word. Disagreement or even apparent incompetence is no excuse for disrespect or disobedience. In a similar way, we as Christians are called to humility. That means that, among other things, we will not assume that we know everything there is to know and that we will therefore trust those who understand more than we do. Having a humble view of yourself will also keep you from thinking that, that you are somehow exceptional, that because you are young or strong, virile, healthy, vegan, smart, or lucky that way, that bad things like a viral infection just can't happen to you and warnings don't apply to you. All of us want to remember that part of our response of faith to God's goodness to us is stewardship, faithfully using and taking care of what he has given to us, not just for our own benefit, but for others as well. Practically, this means that we will not play viral roulette with our health. When the while as the redeemed children of God, we're not afraid to die. We still have a responsibility to preserve and protect our lives. And if that's true with ourselves, it is even more true with other people's health and lives. Christian love means that we will do everything we can to avoid causing harm to our neighbor or a family member by being careless whether we're talking about how we handle a loaded gun or how we handle our personal habits and hygiene. But even more than that, we are going to be positive and proactive in loving our neighbor. And we will take advantage of every opportunity God gives us to help and befriend him in every bodily need. We'll keep in mind especially the elderly and the vulnerable who are most at risk in times like these. When someone saw the theme for this sermon, don't test, trust, there was some concern that my message today might be some kind of hyper-pious, well, forget about lab work and medicine, just have faith. I hope it's clear now that that is far from our meaning this morning. Don't. Test the Lord as the Israelites did. Trust the Lord in and for all things. He has the whole world in his hands, as the song says, and he will never drop the ball. So we can be calm 
comforted and confident. We can work and we can pray and we will pray hard that this, that as this novel coronavirus makes its way across our nation and the world, it turns out to be just a short story. But however things turn out for you, for us, for our nation, we will not test the Lord's goodness by being faithless, careless, or unkind. And we will not test His love by panicking or worrying. Instead, we will trust in Him. Trust that He will continue loving us just as He loved us by sending His Son to be our Savior. Trust that for Christ's sake, He will forgive us when we do test Him or complain or quarrel. We will trust that He will take care of us here on earth and take us home to heaven when it's time. Trust that for Christ's sake, He will forgive us. Trust trust Him for everything and in every need. And He will come through for us as He always does. And we, we will then rejoice. Rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope for the glory of God. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.